Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. You're listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Covering Mississippi State sports like nobody else. Sports Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad, along with Robbie Falk from 24-7 Sports, give you an inside look at the Bulldogs on the field, the court, and the diamond. Now, get ready for Thunder and Lightning. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk here with you on a Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us at supertalk.fm or wherever it is you get podcasts from. We appreciate all of our great listeners, especially our servicemen and women out there taking care of us. We want to thank our sponsors over at Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. One week from today is our uh, first, or not our first annual, our annual uh, Palmer Home Radiothon at Super Talk Mississippi. We try to raise a bunch of money for the Palmer Home, and Super Talk is going to be a big part of that. They're going to be donating a percentage of their sales on that day to the Palmer Home. So a week from today on the 15th, let's make sure you're in the drive-through or the walk-up window here in Starkville. Both locations will be involved uh, for, for Super Talk and the Palmer Home. That's a great thing and again that's just what kind of business they run over at strange brew coffee house they take care of their their community they are passionate about mississippi and of course they're passionate about bringing you the best coffee you've ever had national championship stuff is flying off the shelves i tweeted something yesterday about hey from college corner we've got some national championship hats in about three hours later somebody said hey i just went by they're out they went that quick, guys. The, the, the demand for this stuff has never been greater, but go ahead and get your order in at collegecornerstore.com or head by one of the two locations in the Jackson area, Ridgeland by Fleet Feet, Flowed by the Half Shell. Put your orders in now. It will get there eventually. You want to be a part, You want to be able to walk around with that big maroon and white polo, that national championship hat, that national championship T-shirt. The only place to do that, the best place to do it, is College Corner. Humble Taco, Starkville's newest and best Mexican restaurant, Mexican fare with Mississippi roots. If you haven't checked it out yet, make sure it's on your list the next time you are in Starkville. It's described as chef-driven Mexican food. So it's tacos, it's casual, and you, don't, you don't need to fancy it up, but the food itself is really, really cool and unique, something you don't see around here or anywhere uh, very often. So check them out over there on University Drive. Head over to Humble Taco. Robbie Falk. We got a lot to talk about this. So, a surprise, Rob. I don't know if I surprised about it. I think we just had a little confusion. But are you going to kick me off again? Surprise! <laughs> you treat me like a dog, and you expect me to smile. Anyway, <laughs> I told him that we've got to catch up on opponent previews and SEC previews and things like that. So we've got three segments today on opponent previews, three different interviews. You're going to learn a lot about some of the teams here in the conference today. But first. Robbie, this is a big cornerback here. DeCarlos Nicholson out of Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. Six foot three and two hundred pounds. You know, we always talk about could a safety grow into a linebacker. What what is the deal? I've, I don't. There's not a lot of corners this that, this big in the country. Well, he runs a four three forty. So all right, I have a real serious question. <laughs> Why is he coming to Mississippi State? <laughs> he should be going to Alabama with those kind of numbers. So this this is kind this kind of reminds me of what Dan Mullen used to do when he was looking uh, for yeah. whenever he's looking for talent. This is a converted quarterback that is just now going to move over to defense this year. He uh-huh. played quarterback at Pedal High School. Was playing quarterback at Gulf Coast, and now he's making the move to the defense. It's just a natural fit for him because he's got that top end speed and he's got that length. And you're right. I mean, this is a big cornerback, six three, two hundred pounds. The question's going to be, you know, will he hit you? We we haven't seen enough of that on film. Is he going to come up? Is he going to hit you? Is he going to be a good cover guy? We know he's probably going to have the ball skills. He's going to be able to to find the ball in the air, high point it, and make a play because he's just a natural athlete like that, and he's played offense before. But um, anytime you get an athlete like this, you just take him and figure it out. If 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 this doesn't work at cornerback, maybe he grows into a safety at that size. I don't know, but 
you, you see a guy with that kind of athleticism and that kind of size, and it's one of those guys you just got to take. I'm excited. You got me excited about this guy. I mean, oh, I see a. I like bigger corners because receivers just keep getting bigger. Yeah. You know, especially those guys out there on the outside. They just keep getting 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so here's a guy who physically can match up with those big receivers. But now you're telling me 4'3 speed. And that's, you know, I, I, I saw the article about that. That's, it was, it was, this is a legitimate 4'3". This isn't, you know, some coach out there. Laser where, time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the real deal. Uh, no ranking as of yet from 24-7. Uh, no offense to Robbie. 24-7 is the best in the business. But they are sort of slow sometimes on the JUCO guys. If you had to guess, I mean, it's 87. 88, yeah. maybe. Just from just for, just because we haven't seen him at cornerback yet. We have no film to go by uh, of him defensively. I think there's some film out there of him in practice or something. But there's just not – you got to be able to see him on the field and what they're doing on the field uh, to, to, to really get a good idea. So 88, I think, is a fair ranking right now for him just from a measurable standpoint and – and the fact that he runs a four, a four three forty is a pretty big deal. I mean that that would be what I'd slap on him just knowing those two things. You can he can join the fleet of eighty eights that Mississippi State currently uh, has committed. So though that uh, that commitment doesn't affect Mississippi State's uh, ranking as of yet. Bulldogs twenty first nationally. They were ninth a few weeks ago, but then they lose Jacarius Clayton. There was a re ranking through to some other sites that dropped down some MSU commitments. It feels sort of like a lot of the momentum they had has stalled out, especially when you look, like I mentioned, Clayton released a top five that MSU is not on. Xavier Harris, who everybody thought was headed to Mississippi State, has committed to Ole Miss. Is State losing some momentum on the recruiting trail? A little bit. I mean, I, that that hurt to lose Xavier Harris, and I still don't think that one's over. Jacarius Clayton hurt. Just because you're trying to get some, some really good defensive line defensive lineman in this class and you have Don Terry Russell who's at the top of your class but I mean this ranking thing with the with ESPN which I'm still of the opinion of ESPN should not be included in our rankings I've I've said that before mm-hmm. nobody's really listening to me and I, that's okay but that's just my opinion because I have never seen an ESPN person at a single high school football game in the state of Mississippi I haven't seen anybody at the Mississippi Alabama All-Star game these people do not go out and evaluate talent with their eyeballs. They don't go out. They a lot of these people are ranking ranking this Mississippi State class after players commit. These players weren't even ranked in the first place. Yeah. So I, I'm always one that I wish that we would showcase our rankings a little more and, and put and put a little more emphasis on that. But I understand uh, from a marketing standpoint pushing out the 247 composite, because no one else has done that before. You're taking every single uh, recruiting site out there and putting it together, and it's it's very interesting concept. But the, the, the rankings from ESPN has brought this class down as a whole mm-hmm. because they're just now throwing rankings on these players, and everybody's a three-star uh, from ESPN. So that's that, that has hurt this class momentum a little bit because you had like three or four guys that were four-stars, and now they've all dropped down. Uh, because of that, and and also the, you know losing Xavier Harris and Jacarius Clayton were big too. Uh, so state has some work to do on the defensive line, but defensive backs are looking really good. I I really like this defensive backs class with uh, Nicholson and Kylan Griffin, who's had a really good summer out of Alabama. Jordan Thomas, uh, another Alabama recruit. Tyler Wood Woodard, the cornerback. Wesley Miller, safety from right up the road at Columbus. This is a really strong defensive back class for Mississippi State at this point. They're really kind of reloading there. And now you need to put your focus in on capping off that offensive line class and building that defensive line class. What Mississippi State really needs, in my opinion, is to one of these guys that – and Xavier Harris was in this group – that we think is leaning to get in the boat and start helping the the, the recruiting process. A Stone Blanton, a Bryson Hurst, an R.J. Moss – one of these in-state guys needs to get in and start becoming the captain of this class, so that the rest of the guys will follow along. Do you have a? Do you think there's a time frame for any of those guys to jump in? Not off the top of my head. I mean, you would think that some of those guys would be ready to roll pretty soon. You know, Stone Blanton has taken several visits this summer, and I think he's close, but he still has not pulled the trigger yet. I mean, you need one of those guys to jump on board 
to start building that momentum. At, at the very least, you need it right before the season starts so those guys can start getting guys to campus for games, getting together, being kind of the leader of the class. Um, a lot of times we've seen that happen with classes. Once you start getting that stronghold in the class, it can really steamroll. I think Ole Miss did, did a good job of that late last year when they got Luke Altmeyer committed before signing day, and then he started kind of getting the ball going going with MJ Daniels and Brandon Buckhalter and guys like that. State needs that in this class. They yeah. they need they need a guy that's going to be the leader of the class that's what you know, I know he's not here anymore, but Jerry and Jones did that yeah. a couple years ago. Uh, a guy that's gonna be a leader on Twitter, get some buzz going for Mississippi State. They need that with, with uh you know, people <clears throat> people like Stone Blanton and uh R. J. Moss, guys that state feels pretty good about right now. I think Ole Miss has made up some ground with Bryson Hurst, but uh, State just really needs some momentum with with some in-state guys. They have some really good in-state players committed, but a, a lot of these guys are kind of, you know, they keep to themselves and they're not real vocal from what I've been able to tell. So State needs a vocal leader in this class that can kind of yeah. get some momentum rolling. I, I agree with that. We'll see if, if somebody jumps in in the next couple of weeks, you know, especially before football season starts because that's when you – know, State, we all know that when football season starts, recruiting really slows down for them. They, they need to get some guys uh, into this class, and they need to do it in the next few weeks, I, I would say. All right, let's jump into some opponent previews. We've got – or not these are – I'm sorry, these are SEC previews. Robbie's like, what's the difference? Like, there's – when the opponent previews, I tailor the interview to be more about, hey, when you match up with Mississippi State. These okay. are more like just general preview. This is my first time doing yeah, this, yeah. so I, I'm learning I used on the to fly. just do one per team, but then last year when we had no other content, I was like, I'm going to get as many interviews as I can. Yeah. And so now I'm just like, as I told Robbie, who works for 24-7, well, they will, they will literally write an article about anything. I was like, I know you're not going to begrudge me any content. Look, I, I have a 100-day countdown. Yeah. Where I count down the roster yeah. every single day. So believe me, yeah. I understand. This was the time last year we were really hot and heavy in the bulldog bracket this time. I last cannot year, so. I cannot tell you how difficult it was. It was it was really good for, for us as mm-hmm. a site last year. Yeah. To think outside the box. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And to just try to find and, and actually we did it better than just about anybody. I think we had the most growth of anybody. I'm talking about on our network. Oh, okay, okay. So. We, I think we had the most growth on our site as of anyone on our network yeah. all see all year. Yeah. Um so that I mean that was really good for us. But yeah, summer can get really tough, especially when you have absolutely no sports like we did last year. So I, I'm not going to I'm not going to uh be upset with you for having more content. So let's start with who? Who do you want to start with? South Carolina. That's let's, that's that's where we were supposed to have been before the, the Omaha trek uh began. So let's start with our interview We'll go to the Welcome Home Beef hotline. In fact, let's let's go ahead and, and get the ads out of the way. Welcome Home Beef. Don't forget, you can head over to Val's. I was thinking about this today. You know, how much more convenient this new setup is for everybody. It used to be if you got off work after 6, well, Welcome Home Beef was closed. And, the, and all the steaks there, as you know, if you ever shopped there, were frozen. Now you can get off work, head over to Val's, and get a fresh Welcome Home Beef ribeye or filet to cook that night. That's a great deal, and it's going to be a little bit cheaper than what you were paying at the University Drive location. So this is a really great deal. Head over to Val's. They'll cut whatever you like. Everything's out there in the butcher counter. And if your local market doesn't con- cover Welcome Home Beef, well, you need to find out why. Call Welcome Home Beef and find out how they can get- come to your town. 662-268-8148 or contact them through their website at welcomehomebeef.com. Welcome home, Beef. It just tastes good. Two brothers smoked meats in the heart of the Cotton District. I see they got a visit from one Brandon F. Walker, and then he complained that his food wasn't something for free. He's making more money than all of us. He's making, like, seriously, like $80,000 a year, and he can't Jeez. pay for a simple meal. I mean, it's just incredible, Brandon. Are you are you mad they didn't put the food in your mouth and then start moving your jaw for you and let he wanted you, somebody to wave him you with masticate a, that he wanted somebody chew it to wave on him down with a, with a leaf yeah he That's wants to be wanted. fed grapes <laughs> and sit on a dais well when I go to Two Brothers I want my wings I want my tacos and I want my pork rind nachos That's what I want every time I'm up in there so. When you're at Two Brothers, it's always a great experience and a great meal. Check them out over there in the heart of the Cotton District. Smoked Southern Soul Food at Two Brothers Smoked Meats. Advantage Business Systems, that's the place that has the two-way plan for helping your business thrive with more profits and less problems. They have a selection of technology, of copiers, printers, everything your business needs 
to grow and to work at the rate you need it to, and it's all backed up with the best customer service in the state. 50 years of working in this state, helping businesses just like yours. You just can't do it. You can't stay in business that long doing anything if you don't take care of your customers. Why don't you call Advantage Business Systems today find out how they can help you out. That number is 601-362-9192, or visit them online at absms.com. Find out how Advantage Business Systems helps your business do business. Let's go to the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. We'll talk to our old friend Ben Portnoy, covers the Gamecocks for the state in Columbia, South Carolina. All right, let's go into the east. Let's talk about South Carolina with my handsome young son, Ben Portnoy, covering the Gamecocks now for the state over there in Columbia. First off, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm happy to be back, happy to talking to talking with you, uh, catching up with you, Pop. <laughs> your mother is your mother Jennifer Aniston. She's doing well. She wanted me to tell you hello. We enjoyed having you in the green room uh, over the College World Series as well. That was a lot of fun. Uh, getting to talk to you again and provide you providing some great insight for, for the Bulldog fans who, who joined us. But now we're going to talk about South Carolina. I am on the record. I think this is the worst team in the conference, maybe even worse than Vanderbilt uh, this year. I don't have a lot of faith in Shane Beamer. In a minute or less, sell me on why I'm wrong. I think there's enough pieces here that they can win a couple of games. Maybe they shouldn't. I think that also the schedule lines up all right. I mean, you've got kind of three cupcakes on the schedule and uh, Eastern Illinois, uh, East Carolina, and uh, Troy that are, are games you should win. You've also got Vanderbilt on the schedule, and with it being a new team and a new coach there in Nashville, I think that you probably can get the four wins. Um, you still play an Auburn team that's in a first year. I mean, I think on paper they're more talented than South Carolina, certainly, but play an Auburn team that has, you know, is under a first-year head coach. I'm not sold on Missouri yet either, and, you know, you never really know with Kentucky. Um, you know, so there are games out there that, that you can win, and I think that South Carolina has guys in the backfield. Kevin Harris, Quandre White, Marshawn Lloyd are all running backs that, frankly, could be starting at just about any school in America, and all three of them happen to be in the same backfield. Uh, and when you look at that, I think there are enough pieces there. The defense is going to be a problem. The secondary has a lot to prove. I don't know that there's necessarily a playmaker at receiver outside of maybe, uh, you know, one or two guys. I think that, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of missing pieces, and they're going to need to, you know, South Carolina's going to have to figure things out pretty quickly. But um, they've got a little bit of a, a time to figure that out. And I think that, you know, realistically, I think as long as Shane Beamer as a coach can avoid, you know, a 2-10 and ten season, get to, you know, three, four, five wins and, and let things roll from there, then, you know, you kind of, you hope, you think that you're in pretty good shape if that's the case. Yeah, Beamer's never been a, an offensive coordinator, never called plays. What is his offense going to look like? Yeah, so Marcus Satterfeld is going to be the offensive coordinator here, who is the offensive coordinator here, I should say. Uh, comes from the Matt Rule sort of school of football. Uh, you know, he's worked with Rule for a long time, worked with him at Temple, worked with him at Baylor. Uh, he also was the assist- an assistant offensive line coach at, uh, with the Carolina Panthers last year, worked with Joe Brady. So I think you're going to see a lot of those concepts, you know, spread, some multiple stuff. I think that, you know, you're probably not going to throw the ball quite as much as, say, like, you know, 2019 LSU did, you know, where Joe Burrow's swinging the ball all over the place. He's got a first-year starter in Luke Doty who is a guy who's capable enough of throwing the football, but I think we haven't seen a ton of it, and is better suited as maybe a dual-threat guy. And with what you have in the backfield, too, uh, I think you're going to rely on the ground game more. Um, but I think that this offense will probably be pretty multiple. You'll see a lot of looks. You'll see a lot of guys in space. Um, I think you'll see a lot of intermediate routes. I don't think you probably try to put too much on Luke Doty in, in year one, you know. You try to give him, you know, make him make simple throws. You'll push the ball downfield as much just to keep the defense honest, I guess. Um, but other than that, I think that, you know, it's a, it's a team that I, I think that you've got so much in the backfield in, in those three guys I mentioned, and Saquon uh, White and Kevin Maris and uh, Marshawn Lloyd, that I, I think you have to lean into that. I look at this team, and, you know, offensively especially, a lot of experience coming back. You know, outside of Doty, who you mentioned, I mean, I see a lot of juniors, a lot of seniors, especially on the offensive line. You've got three senior starters and two junior starters there. Is that the, the thing that South Carolina has going for it the most is the amount of experience they return? Yeah, I, I think that's true, and it's a good observation. I mean, you've got a lot of guys on the offense. I think if I'm not mistaken, they bring back three of five starters on the offensive line, and the guys who are filling in beyond that are, are all guys that have been really, really good um, or have excuse me, played a lot of snaps. Um so, you know, it's a team that I think brings back a ton. Um, you know, the question is, right, like, if you're bringing back guys who 
still can't play, then how much does it really help, right? Um, you know, I think there are guys at receiver who are interesting pieces. I mean, on Joyner is a guy who was a four-star recruit out of Charleston and came in as a quarterback and was a you know big-time quarterback recruit but converted to receiver eventually and just hasn't quite put it all together, but is a really gifted athlete. Um, EJ Jenkins is a guy who's a transfer but has should have, if I'm not mistaken, two years of eligibility. Uh, has run at wide receiver and tight end and measures in at 6'7", 250-plus, and there just simply aren't a hell of a lot of people who can match up with that kind of size. Um, and, and I think, you know, when you look at it, like there are pieces like that that come in and, and can kind of make things happen. Um, like I said, the running back room is, is what it's going to be. Um, you know, so when you have that experience, it helps the first-year quarterback outside of Doty. But, you know, the question becomes, like, if this is what you had last year, why didn't it look better last year? Obviously, it's a new system. Maybe think people get put in better situations. And, you know, I, 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 I definitely – I think every coaching staff is different, right? But I, I don't know how you feel about this. But, like, I fall in the category of if you have guys who do something well, you should adjust your system to fit the guys you have. Oh, and it's it, – and it seems like South Carolina is doing that, and I think that, like, you know, I don't think Marcus Satterfeld is going to sit there and say we need to throw the ball 60 times a game. Like, it's just not going to happen when you have what you have at running back. I mean, they, I'd go as far to say this might be the most talented running back room in the conference. And, and, you know, when you have that kind of depth, like, you don't need to throw the ball that much. So I think that, you know, the combination of the experience, with what South Carolina is trying to match with its offense, I think they can be all right on offense. I think the defense is the biggest question mark, though. Yeah, I just got off the phone with Michael Casagrande from AL.com. He might disagree with you on that running back comment. I just want to let you know that that, that could happen. That disagreement could happen. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to duke it out. Yeah, well, media days won't be here for long. We'll put you in a cage. Um, defensively, sort of the same question I had about Beamer because he's never been a defensive coordinator either. Uh, what is his defense going to look like? Who, who, who's running the show there? Yeah, it's going to be Clayton White, who, and you'll be familiar with this, and a lot of Mississippi State people listening to this will be familiar with this, but he's a guy who uh, is going to run a four-two-five a little bit, kind of what Zach Arnett run, mm-hmm. um, and have some sort of guys moving all over the place. Um, I, I think it's a really fascinating piece. Uh, Clayton's a guy who's been in college football for a long time. Uh, coincidentally, for the, for the Mississippi State folks out there, he was actually on the same staff as Joe Moorhead at UConn back in the day. Um, but he's a guy who's, who's really highly thought of. Uh, I think it was kind of a matter of time until a Power 5 program came and uh, scooped him up from Western Kentucky where he was at before. Um, he's a guy who's really like X's and O's, you know, football head type guy, uh, a, a little bit like Zach Arnett, not too different, frankly. Um, and, and I think that he's going to do a lot of really interesting things in the blitz packages and things like that. Um, and, and the thing with the four two five, and and, you know, we saw it last year up close, right, is that it's just a very different style of defense and it's not, you know, the base concepts are very different. The rules are very different when you're, you know, on offense against it. it it's just very unique. It's not, you know, uh, to borrow from something I read, you know, recently, it's, it's not quite, you know, what you would see, like, in the difference of a triple option, right? But it's something comparable, right? It's just something you don't see a lot of, and it's something that, you know, you're going to have to adjust to. Um, and I think that when you do that, it keeps teams on their toes. I mean, that said, you lose a lot in the secondary. I mean, Israel Mukwamu is a guy who is going to, you know, who got drafted or is going to be in the NFL. J.C. Horn's a top ten pick. I mean, those are guys that you don't just replace those guys on day one. Um, you know, there's been some guys that they've brought in that I think can make a difference. Uh, you know, Carlin Platel is a guy who's coming from the D2 level that I think, if I'm not mistaken, decided between South Carolina and Mississippi State. Um, and he's a guy that I'm really high on and I think can be really good, you know, talking to some of his coaches and, and former teammates and stuff. I mean, he's a guy that probably should have been, uh, you know, see that, you know, he's a guy that probably could have been, uh, you know, at the D1 level earlier than he is now. Um, Cam Smith is a guy who's probably the best corner on this team coming back. Um, you know, he, he showed some really nice flashes. I think I'm pretty high on him. He's a former four-star recruit. Or a top 250 recruit. Like, he's a guy that has some talent. He got beaten coverage a few too many times, but he's got some really impressive ball skills and looked really, really good in Spurs last year. Um, and then you bring in Karan Pronti, who's a Kansas transfer. And, you know, that's a guy who, and as you can attest, Brian, like, you know, this is a guy at a program like Kansas who didn't allow a single touchdown against him as a freshman. That's a crazy and if you're doing that, and, yeah. and if you're doing that in the secondary at Kansas with the offenses that you're seeing in the Big 12, I mean, you're sure as hell doing something right. And so the lack he's of a guy talent around you, too. So. 
Right, exactly. I mean, he's the guy. He's the kind of guy that on day one, I think, steps in and is probably their best defensive back, bar none. Um, and when you and you know they landed him over Tennessee, so it's an added bonus. You know, him not going to another SEC school. So, um, you know, he's a guy that on day one looks like the type to step in and be, you know, a really, really impressive playmaker. So, there are some pieces there. It, it's just kind of a mix. It's a little bit, you know, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. Um, you know, there's some really good talent on the defensive line. I mean, South Carolina always kind of seems to have this, but, you know, J.J. Anagbare is a guy who's played a ton of snaps and is realistically a, you know, pretty top-end first-round, you know, not maybe not first-round, but second-round kind of guy, third-round kind of guy. Um, you know, Zach Pickens is a top former top, uh, I think he was top-20 recruit. You know, he's a five-star guy. Um, you know, a South Carolina kid uh, is kind of, you know, in that same mold of, you know, guys that we've seen in the defensive line at South Carolina before, right? Javon Kinlaw, you know, Jadavion Clowney, not to compare the kid to those guys exactly, but, right. you know, is, is you know, one of those guys with that kind of history, you know, and recruiting hype and that kind of thing. So there's some pieces there. It's just, you know, there's enough holes that it makes you want to stop and wonder, okay, how actually good can this thing be when you're, you know, trying to fill holes with transfers and, and a little bit of duct tape as much as anything. Uh, so looking ahead to uh, the season, you mentioned in the non-conference games, obviously they have to take on uh, Clemson every year. So for you, how do you see this season playing out for Carolina? I, I think that if you can get through your three non-conference games, the East Carolina game is a little weird just because you're playing it at East Carolina and it's the yeah. second week of the season and just weird things happen. Um you know, I, I mean, look, South Carolina should win that game, and maybe they go in there and run for 400 yards, and I, you know, bite my words, and it doesn't matter. But you know, I think realistically, you win those three games and you beat Vanderbilt, and if you go four and eight, that's probably a pretty good year given what you know Shane Beamer and his staff inherited. Um, I, I think that this is a team that is going to need a year, two years, three years to fill some holes. I don't. If I'm not, last time I checked, they're not at the full scholarship. Um, Bill, I think they were at 82 or 83 of 85 scholarships, so you know, they've got a few extras to play with and that kind of thing, um, but I, I think it's a team that needs a year or two to kind of flip the roster and you know, a change of philosophy and that kind of thing, but it, basically if you just avoid disaster and don't go like 1-11 and 11 or 2-10, and 10, mm-hmm. you're probably doing something pretty alright. We'll see. We'll see what the Gamecocks can do this year uh, in the first year of the Shane Beamer era. Ben Portnoy for the for the state in Columbia. Thanks for thanks for joining me, son. <laughs> I appreciate it. Always happy to uh, hop on and catch up with you, man. All right. See you days. All right. Thanks to Ben for joining us. South Carolina, Robbie, that is a team, buddy. I am not very high on this year. Uh, I'm I'm not really high on Shane Beamer overall. I, I think that the, I've said it before. If his last name was Shane, if he was Shane Smith, he would not be the head coach at South Carolina. I think you know. People are just sort of hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. This is a guy who's never been a coordinator for on either side of the ball. Uh, I think I, I'm just not buying into South Carolina. I think they have a great chance to be the worst team in the SEC, maybe even worse than Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, I'm not understanding these hires by South Carolina. I mean, they they obviously nailed it with Steve Spurrier, and they were able to get him on board late in his career, but. I mean, you picked up Will Muschamp, who could not win at Florida mm-hmm. with the resources that they had, and somehow you thought he was going to win there. And now you pick up a guy that's been a career assistant for, what, 20 years or so? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I really like Shane Beamer, too. I think, I think he is a really good coach, and uh, he deserves his opportunity. But this, did, this hire didn't make sense to me. Initially, and you know what, he might come out and just be amazing. Right. But I, I just don't, I don't see it with South yeah. Carolina. That they're already limited in a lot of things they're doing. Now they have a very good new facility mm-hmm. on campus, so they're going to have something to pull from from there. And there are some really good recruits in, in, in South Carolina mm-hmm. in some spots. But I just don't. The problem with that though is the, who's the other team in that Clemson, state? Clemson, yeah. And they're they're taking the the top recruits. But I mean, South Carolina. Has been able to pull in their share of they, they, they big have. time players. And you think about the, the team, the teams that they had in the mid in the 2010s. You know, Clowney was a South Carolina guy. Alshon Jeffrey was from Georgia. Uh, Connor Shaw, Marcus Latimer, all those guys. Mac Marcus Lattimore, I'm sorry, were all you know nearby guys. But now Georgia and Clemson have risen up the totem pole, 
and now South Carolina is not getting those same quality guys. Let's look at their schedule. I think they'll be 1-0 for sure with Eastern Illinois to start the year off. Uh, shout out to Sean Payton. They go to East Carolina in Week 2. That, that's, that's an interesting that's game. That's an interesting game because that's the kind of game where it's an 11 a.m. kick on the road. That place will probably be as packed as it can be. And it's going to be a crowd that if something goes right for East Carolina early, it could be a problem for South Carolina because they don't just have a guy they can just rely on back there to just, you know, to, to take over the game, I don't think. I'll take South Carolina to win, but I'm, I, I won't be totally shocked if they lose. Yeah, the, the big thing with South Carolina is like I never know who their quarterback is. And then, like that's always right. a, it's always a key Luke piece. Luke Doty is, his and name it seems like they're always like having some kind of quarterback controversy. Well, I mean, they've still got. I mean, Jake Bentley is still playing football. The Holinsky kid transferred out. I mean, they just they can't keep anybody. And those are four star kids that they sign, and then they, they they transfer out. Now, State has had a little bit of that, obviously, with Keaton and and Garrett Schrader, but. It seems like at South Carolina, you're right. They just can't ever settle on a guy and leave him in there for a couple of years. Yeah, I'm going 2-0. I think they beat East Carolina, but that is an interesting game. Yeah. All right. Back-to-back games at Georgia and then Kentucky at home, but I think they'll lose both of those to go to 2-2. Two and two. And then they have Troy, who, again, that's a, that's a group of five team that Solid. has beaten Power 5 teams in the past. So once again, I will say they'll probably win – but I'm not going to be shocked if Troy pulls an upset. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with them over Troy here. Okay, so and three, then, three and, then, and two. Yeah, and then moving on to Tennessee and Knoxville. I like Tennessee better with their new coach because he's actually proven it. Yeah, at a Division One school, been a coordinator in FBS school. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to take Tennessee and Knoxville. These next two games for Carolina are what define their season. Yep. They're at Tennessee and they have Vanderbilt at home. Two and zero. Hey, you could maybe go to a bowl game. Uh, one and one. Ah, well, it's his first year. Zero oh and two, and you're you might you're going three and nine. Right. It's as simple as that. I think I think that Vanderbilt's so putrid, it's not going to matter. Like I, even South Carolina should be able. Who to, does State play on the sixteenth? Do you know off the top of your head? October sixteenth. Yeah. That's after State's bye week. Is that Alabama? Possibly. Kentucky's always around. Th- Kentucky, uh, Kentucky is in November. It is out. Al- okay, so that's the state Alabama game. Okay, let's just say let's just say state Alabama is at home and it's oh it is at home. Let's say that's that's a six o'clock ESPN kickoff, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be at the stadium too terribly early. And let's say that this, which it probably will be, is your eleven a.m. game. Ugh. How much do I have to pay you to watch the whole thing? I could sit down and watch it. Just have it on. You're, the you're background. not allowed to change the channel. Can I just have it on the background when I'm looking my looking? No, you have to file. I, I want to. I want a gamer after. You got to tell me what happened. Oh God! You got to pay this attention. This would be this would be just awful to watch. But doesn't this strike you as like thirteen to ten? Yeah, I mean, awful. I think it's going to be bad. Awful. It, it's about like that Ole Miss Vanderbilt game last year, except for the opposite of just Ole Miss was just destroying them in the first half. This is going to be just yeah. two people slapping each other for yeah. for three hours. If this was in Nashville, I might pick Vanderbilt. I will take South Carolina. Nuggets, look, honestly, at this point, they're four and three. And so you probably feel pretty good, right? And now here it comes. Oh. South Carolina goes to Texas A&M, so loss. that's a loss. Florida at home. Loss. On the road to Missouri. I can't figure out Missouri, but I, I'm going to take Missouri in this. We're going to talk about Missouri. They're not that bad. I've come to that conclusion. They have a chance to be a good team. I just never know with them. I, that's, that's what I told when I did the interview I did with Mitchell Forty. I said, Honestly, Mitchell, year in and year out, there's no team I know less about than Missouri. Yeah. I, I never know what they are. Uh, Auburn comes to South Carolina. Loss. Auburn's winning that. And then they play Clemson. That's going to be a bludgeoning. 4-8. Yeah. That, that's about what I would expect. That If if you just told me without looking at the schedule mm-hmm. what South Carolina going to do this year, I would say four or five wins. There you go. All right. Let's go back to the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. We're going to talk about the defending national champions now. The Alabama Crimson Tide. Let's catch up on the, on the number one team in the nation with Michael Casagrande from AL.com. Our SEC previews takes us to the defending national champions, the Alabama Crimson Tide. My friend Michael Casagrande from AL.com will join us now on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. I, I think I was a year ahead of myself on the Bryce Young hype. I sort of saw last year as a, a Kelly Bryant, uh, Trevor Lawrence kind of situation, but Mac Jones proved me wrong. So 
Was I right to think he's that good, though, that he could overtake that job? What, what are you expecting from Bryce uh, in his first year as a starter? Yeah, no, I think we were all um, I was probably guilty a little bit of that myself, um, thinking that he might have been um, you know, ready to overtake Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones had a big part in, in not allowing that to happen. But, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting year for him. There's definitely... Uh, I wouldn't say there's anyone breathing down his, uh, his back of his neck at this point. He's he's going to be the starter. Um, he's clearly going to be the most uh, the most talented and the, the most qualified for the job this season. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much they use him in the running game, knowing that there's maybe not as much depth behind him uh, ready to play. So um, I think that's part of what makes him good is his ability to move in the pocket. Uh, scramble, um, so we'll see how that works out for him. But I think you know he's got the the talent, he's got the instincts, and um, I think it's the kind of thing that's just going to have to see how it it translates at this at this level in this game. So um, curious to see how that works out. A running joke I always make is when I fill out my all SEC back, and I just want to put Alabama running back. Whoever it is, I just know that they're going to put up stats. It looks like the first guy in line is Brian Robinson, but I assume there's just a stable of guys behind him. Is Alabama going to be able? You know, I ask, are they going to be able to run the ball? I know that they are, but who's doing it for them? Yeah, no, Brian Robinson's definitely the guy who's been around the longest. Um, was the backup for Najee Harris the last, you know, two years. He's always been kind of in that line of succession. Um, we see guys like Jason McClellan. Uh, former five-star guy last year, um, step in there. Uh, Trey Sanders, curious to see how he can come back. Former number one running back, five-star guy, got hurt in a car accident last year. So, um, you know, there's some there's some interesting depth there. That there's there is depth. Um, I'm curious to see who will be the true um, true alpha, the true number one guy. I don't know if there will be uh, a Najee Harris type situation where they're getting. You know, because they had been for a while, they're trying to go by committee, uh, distribute the, the runs, the carries, and the last, you know, two years, Najee Harris was the true number one. Yeah. There wasn't a number two. Uh, so it's going to probably be more of a, a by committee kind of situation. And then at receiver, you know, this is sort of the first year. I, I know John Mechie's name, but beyond that, I, I, this, there's no Ruggs, there's no Devontae Smith, there's no Jerry Judy there. You know, I know again. I know that there's a, a fleet of talented guys there, but who are they? Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's uh, the dynasty's over. They're out of. Uh... <laughs> don't, don't get that quote on the air. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the the freshman Hall is the the guy that got a lot of. Uh, I'm afraid to even try to pronounce his name yet. Uh, from the from the eight A game, uh, uh, talented, uh, athletic. There was a lot of uh, true freshmen. This would be a Maybe not the same 2017 freshman class of of uh, incoming guys, but uh, a pretty high, highly rated group. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be the same name brand that everyone's going to know. So I think it's going to be who's going to be able to step it up. I, mean, I think Jaleel Billingsley at tight end is kind of one of those hybrid tight ends. It's not a uh, a traditional tight end is very good in the passing game. I think he, he flashed some of that last year, and people got an idea for what he can do in the passing game. So I, I, I look for him to be uh, be a factor there as well. What does this offense look like with Bill O'Brien? Because the guy who's been in the pros the past few years, and I don't see his offense under that same sort of vein that Kiffin and Sarkeesian and, and how they mm-hmm. ran it. What, what is it going to look like? That's, that's a good question. I think he almost came here a year too late. It's bigger Bill O'Brien and Matt Jones. Uh, offense would probably fit in pretty well, but it's that's a you know another good question because yeah you know, the, the personnel changes quite a bit from from last year. The quarterback style changes quite a bit from where you had Mac Jones to Bryce Young. So I think you know there are a lot of things I'm just as curious as you are, and I think a lot of people are as well because you know just just being away from things, being away from practices, seeing how things are run, the the way things you know flow and not that we saw everything we saw very little but being able to see just some of the just the feel of practice i think will be something that 
I'm curious to get back to seeing again this fall, this summer. Yeah, me and you both on that. I feel like there's you know there's a lot of unknowns for Alabama offensively, and that they'll answer those questions because they're just talented. Defensively, I feel like obviously they're talented, but I feel like they, I know a lot more about them. This should be, you know, it's the old days, you know, the 2011, 2012 Alabama defense. Those mm-hmm. days are probably gone, just oh, because yeah. of the nature of the sport now. But this should be a really good Alabama defense. Yeah, I know it's, it means the complete flip opposite of last year, where the defense was going to be seen as a liability, and at times it was for sure, and the offense was just a juggernaut, and I think there's not that it's going to be an exact mirror opposite where the defense is going to be dominant, but I think there's a lot more, a lot, I mean, clearly a lot more guys coming back, a lot more of the experienced, talented players coming back on the defensive side, so I, don't, I think the anxiety level is not as uh, high for the defense this year. Who are the guys there, you know, especially in the secondary? Because secondary, for whatever reason, and Nick Saban's a secondary guy, and they constantly put guys in the NFL at the, in those positions, but it's always perceived as the weakest part of this of this defense. For, I don't, for reasons I can't fathom. You know, who are the guys back there in the back half of the defense that will be making plays? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's kind of those are the guys that you see. It's the ones, uh, they're the guys who are chasing down the receiver after they catch the the long pass, so it's easy. They're the guys easy to point to uh, when there's when something does break down. But I think uh, guys like Josh Job, uh, he's going to be a very he's the most experienced cornerback back there. Um, uh, Malachi Moore is coming back after a big uh, true freshman season as the the nickelback, the star. Jordan Battle at, at, at safety. Um, guys like that. I did. Kool-Aid McKinstry is going to be the interesting. Best name uh, in college football right there. Exactly, yeah. It's a good name. Not as, not as a given name. More of a no, nickname. but it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. As a cornerback, five-star um, kind of has that prototype of what what they look for. And um, five-star guy out of Pinson Valley out of here, Birmingham area. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if it's this season or, or next season, but he's a, he's a guy for the future stock. Um, seems to have a lot of, you know, good things for him coming out of spring. Had a pick in the spring game, so um, yeah, I think they had a reload. I think there's a lot of young talent in the secondary, and we we'll kind of see how that shakes out. If I give you Alabama or the field to win the national championship this year, which hmm. way are you going? I'd have to take a better look at the field. I need to start reading some more of these preseason magazines coming off vacation to see what <laughs> what Clemson has. Um, with you know Ohio State, with some of these, you know, some of these uh, top, with having a, a quarterback class that came out into the draft this past year, um, you never know what, what's what's behind them and how they're going to perform when the when the lights come on. So I think you know, I'm curious as anyone to see what a uh, a close to normal football season could feel like um, this fall. So it's, uh, I mean. It's I don't know. I'm going to give you a non-answer. So I don't want to be the homer that says, of course, you got to take Alabama, and then mm-hmm. I can't be the guy who's going to uh, look down on it. But I think it's going to be fun. It's always going to be interesting. Let's do a, a question about Alabama, but not about so much about this season. Let's talk NIL for just a second, because, you know, obviously people see NIL and they think, well, gosh, the guys at Alabama sort of have an inherent advantage. They're the best players, play on the best team with the most the most publicity. You know what, what? What has Saban said about NIL? You know, does he does he in favor of it? Is he is he against it? And then, how do you see that sort of playing out for Alabama's players, who I think you know are some of the most recognizable in college football? It's a whole. It's an interesting dynamic. I mean, I, Saban hasn't said a whole lot. I think I don't know if you're going to see any coaches going to be opposed to it. As the not going to work out well for them on the recruiting trail. I thought, I thought Dabo said he was going to quit if this happened. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't think I – I haven't seen a pink flip yet. <laughs> I haven't seen a resignation. I don't think he's going anywhere. I, you know, these guys aren't going to – but it's, it's kind of interesting about the, you know, the bigger programs, the bigger names. You know, I, media markets, I think, play into this as well. And you see the, the news from the University of Miami and the way, you know, there's, there's a lot of – uh, money in, in certain markets, certain cities, um, where Tuscaloosa, Alabama might not have the same, you know, financial power as a city like Miami. So I think there's so many unknowns with this, with 
how it's all going to work out in, in reality. Um, what's, what are going to be the, the limits uh, of what, how far it can be taken. So I, I think they're all still figuring it out. Um, I was out for the first five days of NIL madness, so still catching up on everything. I, I know my Bryce Young had one national endorsement, um, but I, as far as I can tell, the college football world has not been turned on its head, and they're still going to play games this fall, and I think fans will still show up and watch. So, um, so far, the, the, you know, the world hasn't ended in terms of the NIL fallout. I, I'm not entirely sure you pronounced his last name, but if Alexander Shunara and his unlimited <laughs> budget are have some Alabama football players yeah. on those billboards with him, I'll be really, really surprised. Just, yeah. Let's put it that way. So, yeah. Michael Casagrande, man, thanks always for, for joining me from AL.com. We'll see him uh, in a couple weeks at SEC Media Days. Can't wait. It's always a pleasure. All right, thanks to Mike. Always good to talk to him. Great great information there. I mean, it, it's Alabama. Do, do we really need to go through it? Or do you no. just want to say 12-0? 11-1 uh, and one or 12-0. If they go 11-1. I, mean, I, I still think that A&M has a shot. They, they've actually been somewhat competitive. Mm-hmm. Not really, but I mean, they've, they've shown that they can score a little bit. I, I think that... That is at A&M this year, isn't it? I believe I'm correct on that. And I mean, yeah, Alabama, Alabama's still going to be breaking in a young quarterback. I mean, I, I know it's Alabama and they just always seem to figure it out and have, have you know, fantastic showing from the quarterback, but you really do never know what you're going to get from a true freshman quarterback, which I'm guessing they're possibly going to have mm-hmm. on the field. Well, he's a redshirt freshman, but yeah. Okay. Is, are they? I, I figured they were going to start the true freshman. They're starting – about Alabama, Bryce, right? Yeah. Bryce Young? Bryce Young. Is he's, that his okay. – He's a redshirt freshman. He was there last year. Okay. Uh, still, he's he hasn't played no. a ton. But the, there might be a game where he just gets overwhelmed and has a bad game. and I mean, and you never know. I, like, this I don't is like mo- just predicting an undefeated season because This it's so is the difficult. most unproven that Alabama's been at the skill positions in quite a while. You know, Brian Robinson has played some, but he has not been the lead dog for them. And they have Trey Sanders behind him who hasn't played at all yet. Um, and then, you know, Mechie, we know, obviously. Jill Billingsley is a great weapon at the tight end position, but there's no Judy or Ruggs or, or Devontae Smith or Waddle here anymore. So. And you had, it was such, it was like a, it was like a stair step of that wide receiver group. Yeah. You know, like Devontae Smith and Ruggs and Judy and those guys, they didn't just lose them all at once. Right. You know, that they all had their moment. Yeah. So now you're starting to. You're, I mean, I know Messi's was there, and he's mm-hmm. he's going to be their lead dog, but he's not Devontae Smith. No, and he's not Jerry Judy. He's not Jalen Waddle, or he's, he's not of those guys. He's he's just he's just not. He's he's, good. he's a great player, but we there is that. a little there is a little bit of a step down. I mean, you're talking about some of the greatest receivers of all time we, in college football. We say all this, Messi will catch seventy five for fourteen hundred. He'll year. be Devontae Smith. Yeah, I mean, um, I, <laughs> I just cannot doubt. Nick Saban yeah. at any point. So are you going to say 12-0 and 0 or 11-1? and 1? I still think they might slip up against someone. Okay. I, I'm going to say 11-1. and 1. I don't know who that's going to be. It's one of three teams. I think A&M's got to – it's going gonna, it's gonna to come on the road. Well, it's, it, then, then it's, it's one of two teams then because LSU goes to It's Alabama. LSU or Auburn. I mean, it's, it's A&M or Auburn. No, or Florida. They go to Florida this year. Okay, it could be Florida. I don't think it's Auburn. I, well, I definitely don't think that. I mean, you say that. I, there, I know. There's, I know. Teen, there's years where Auburn's won this ball game, and but like, I would, how did that happen? I never predict them to win it. I don't I'm, either. I'm always caught by surprise. Well, and that's why I'm saying. Yeah. I I don't know if I can predict that it's going to be one of those. A, I, a I say particular game. I say twelve and zero. Okay. All right. I, I just think it's very difficult in the SEC no, I don't, I don't to, disagree. to run the gauntlet. All right. Last uh, opponent or last SEC preview is Missouri. I talked earlier to Mitchell Forty. He covers the Tigers for PowerMizzou.com. Caught up with him earlier today. Let's go back to the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. One more opponent preview to go on today's show, so we go back to the Welcome Home Beef Hotline and talk to Mitchell Forty, who covers the Missouri Tigers for PowerMizzou.com. That's the rival site up there in Columbia. You know, I feel year in and year out, there's not a team in the SEC I know less about than Missouri. So let's start with, you know, the year two of Eli Drinkwitz up there. What was the impre- first impression of him from Tiger fans? Did they feel like 2020, or sorry, 2020 was a, a, su- a successful season? As it sort of, you know, we're still waiting to see, or were they disappointed? 
I think it was a very positive impression. I think the majority of fans are pretty happy. Um, you know, Missouri did go five and five, but you know, coming into the season, the expectations, frankly, were, were lower than that. You know, they were replacing a new starting quarterback, new head coach, really, you know, new coaching staff, um, and had lost a lot from, from the year before. So, um, you know, it, obviously, all all SEC schedule drawing Alabama and LSU out of the West before the season. I think a lot of people were thinking two and three wins might be. Uh, about what to expect, but you know, going five and five and beating LSU got people pretty excited. And then Drinkwitz and his staff and his staff have really recruited well, and so they've carried over some of that uh, some of that excitement going into this season. I feel like Connor Bazelak was a very pleasant surprise for Missouri fans and maybe for SEC fans. A guy that you didn't know much about uh, coming into the year, he ended up being one of the, the better young quarterbacks in this conference, and there's quite a few of them to uh, to pick from. How much uh, can he improve uh, in this season? Yeah, he was definitely a surprise. I mean, he didn't even start the season for Missouri last year. And honestly, I think I think the potential is there for him to improve a lot and, and to really take a big jump, which would be welcome for Missouri fans since he was already pretty good last season. But, you know, he's not had an offseason at Missouri yet. He was a true freshman in 2019 um, when he ended up starting one game, the very last game of the season. Then he tore his ACL, and we had COVID last offseason. So he was rehabbing during the spring practices and workouts Missouri got you know, in, in March, and then um, didn't really get to start practicing with the team until everyone did around you know mid-August, I think it was. So um, I think having a full offseason as the starter and working with Eli Drinkwitz uh, could really benefit him. And, uh, you know, the, the one area specifically where he showed some room for growth is connecting on some downfield passes. Because he was pretty good at, you know, hitting timing routes. He, he made decent decisions. He was pretty accurate on shorter passes. But kind of struggled to stretch the field, so if you add that dimension to Missouri's offense, it would certainly help every while. Obviously, the, the biggest uh, loss for Missouri is Larry Roundtree the third, one of the better running backs in the SEC, not just last year, but over the past, you know, over his entire career uh, in, in Columbia. Who has to step into that role for them this year and be that workhorse? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be more than one guy. I mean, workhorse really is its an overused term, but he, he really was the definition of a workhorse. He averaged, I think, 21 carries a game last year. He had 37 carries in, in one of the games, and he was like that you know, throughout his college career. It's very durable. So Tyler Beatty is the guy who will probably you know, see his, you know, become more of the number one back. He's been a, a compliment each of the past few seasons, and he's been good at it. He's a very good pass catcher. Um, he's explosive. He, he's quick. He's good when you get him the ball in space. He can run between the tackles, but there are definitely questions about how he could hold up, um, you know, being an every-down type of back. And so I think there will definitely be a need to have probably two other guys who are, are willing and able to, to kind of carry the load. And honestly, not entirely sure who that's going to be at this point. Um, Elijah Young was a true freshman last season who played a little bit, but he's also a little bit of a smaller back. Sydney Bakari is a, a rising, uh, well, third-year player. I know everyone's eligibility is screwed up, but third-year player who's, uh, who's, who's played sparingly, and they're, they're bringing in a couple of true freshmen this year, and, and I think at least one of them, you could see them uh, potentially getting some carries as well. When Mississippi State got to see Missouri at the end of the year last year, the Tigers were just decimated on defense. I, I recall was a backup quarterback was starting at safety for the Tigers in, in that game. What, what does the Tiger defense look like this year? Obviously, they're going to have to be better because it looks like this team is going to be pretty good offensively, but defensively, that, that, to me, that's where the questions are. Yeah, I think definitely defense is more of a question. Um, they did you know, replace a lot of the defensive staff in the offseason. Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator, left for Illinois. Drinkwitz hired Steve Wilkes, a former uh, NFL head coach and defensive coordinator, who everyone is certainly excited about. You know, it's, it's unique to, to get a guy with NFL head coaching experience to come be a college defensive coordinator. Um, you know, but that's, uh, there, there are definitely some question marks. I mean, we saw at the end of last season, like you said, what Missouri's um, defensive backfield looked like without uh, Josh Bledsoe and Tyree Gillespie, both of whom are three-year starters who are going to the NFL. Um, and they lost Jarvis Ware, who was, he was a corner who was already out for that game, but he transferred, had another quarterback transfer as well. So they did bring in some guys in the secondary. They brought in two transfers from Tulsa, which had a good pass defense last year. But I think there's definitely a potential for some growing pains there in the back end with a couple of starting safeties and probably um, starting at least one transfer at cornerback. When I look at Missouri's schedule, if you just give it the quick once-over, I mean, this looks like it could very easily be an eight-win kind of team. If some, if some things break their way, they could go to nine. But at the same time, they don't have the star power to just count anything as a, as a gimme win. It could end up being a six, seven-win team. What, what is your expectation for this Tiger team, and what, what are Missouri fans expecting from this season? 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I think it's it's like a lot of seasons we see where there's there's you know probably three or four games you definitely expect Missouri to win, two or three games you definitely expect them to lose, and the rest are all kind of toss ups, and it just depends how they can do in that toss up category. Um, you know, I. I think that the floor for the team is probably about five and seven. Worse than that would be pretty disappointing. Like you said, the schedule is not that tough. You've got, you know, three easy wins in the non-conference, and the fourth game at Boston College is you know, tough, but winnable. And you should definitely beat Vanderbilt, and you should probably beat South Carolina this year. That's five. Um, but at the other end of the spectrum, definitely don't see them winning at Georgia. Would be pretty surprised if they beat Texas A&M at home, and then they will certainly be probably a you know two-score underdog or so to Florida, at least if that game was early in the season at home. So um, in the middle there, it, it just kind of depends, uh, you know, how they handle the swing games. You've got you know at Kentucky early in the season. Um, you know that Missouri and Kentucky are always they always seem to play close games, and that was kind of Barry Odom's undoing. He lost to them four years in a row, but they're always similar. You know, you play Tennessee, play Arkansas at the end of the season, so. Um, and then the Boston College game I mentioned. I, I think a reasonable expectation is probably seven and five. That's where I'd set the, the bar right now for, you know, pretty good. Anything better than that would be a really good season. There are certainly some fans, and they're probably more of just the vocal fans, um, that, that, you know, you're hearing talk of this could be eight and four, nine and three type of season. But I, I just would be surprised they would have to, like you said, really have some things break right in order to hit those marks. Should be an interesting year up in Columbia in year two. Uh, of the Drinkwitz era up there. This, this program, it feels like it's on the rise, but at the same time in the SEC East with Georgia there and Florida, uh, I don't know how far they can rise. So there'll be somebody uh, interesting for me to watch. Uh, Mitchell Forty, thanks for joining me, man. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Robbie, I went into that interview thinking, okay, I'm probably we're probably talking about like a 4-8, and 5-7 and seven team, and then I talked to Mitchell, and then I look at the schedule. I mean, this team could win seven or eight games. Their schedule is, is really easy. So let's look at it. Central Michigan starts them off. That's probably a win. Kentucky is their their season might sort of swing in week two here. I'm talking to Mitchell Barry Odom lost to Kentucky every year he was there. That's part of the part of the reason he's no longer there. Um, so they need to find a way to win that game. It's at Kentucky. I would take Kentucky to win it as we sit here today. But that's 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 a, that's a swing game for them very early in the season. Yeah, Kentucky seems like a swing game for a lot of teams. What's well, because. Ten years ago, you expected to beat Kentucky. Now right. Kentucky can can punch with you, and so it's become you know, gosh, you know, you need to beat Kentucky because Mississippi State is a prime example of it. You know, part of the reason they were they have been to bowl games all these years is because they've been able to beat Kentucky. Missouri is such an interesting case to me. You know, they came into the league and they won the SEC East like the first Twice. two years. They won it uh, the second and third year. They were in the, in the okay. And then they just kind of just tailed off, but they always had a really good defense. Yeah, if you remember, like the defensive line, That's Barry Odom. Was, yeah, the defensive line was always really good. And then when Barry Odom became the head coach, it flipped to the defense wasn't great, but the offense was really good, right. scoring a they lot of points. Lot. So <laughs> I don't really know what this team, what this program's identity is. I think it's going to be offensive. Drinkwitz is an offensive coach. Bazelak was a, a surprise last year. Pretty good young quarterback. They've got some decent talent around him. Defensively, when we saw Missouri, and this is what I said in the interviews, you know, they were decimated with injuries, yeah. with COVID. You know, they were I had opt outs. I mean, they were starting a quarterback in the secondary. They had no chance against Mississippi State. This year they should be, you know, the, everything should be back to normal a little bit for them. So I'll say they lose to Kentucky. Are you in on that? Yeah. So one and one. Should be should win their next two against SEMO. I don't think Rick Ray is there anymore. And uh a road game at Boston College is not a gimme, but they should be able to win that. Yeah, and okay. I don't think we're going to see a Hail Mary in that ball game either. So. Probably not. So three and one, and then they have this little. They, they they could be five and one. They they have Tennessee at home and North Texas. They'll certainly beat North Te- North Texas. Can they beat Tennessee? I think so. They can. I mean, they beat LSU at home last year. Yeah. So they're five and one at this point. If we're if we're looking at this correctly. Then they go. They have A and M at home. That's a game I don't think they'll win. That's a loss. Then they have Vanderbilt. They can win that. And then they go to Georgia. That's a loss. That's a loss. South Carolina. We just said earlier. We think that's a win for for Missouri. Florida at home. I always like to joke, by the way, about how Eli Drinkwitz said it would be an advantage to play Florida late in the season because it's so cold in Missouri. It's like it's like fifty degrees, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's well, not like they're they're going to other places. It's going to be cold. Yeah, I'll too. take the Gators here, but that's only here right now. 
when we get to that week could be totally different. Yeah, I, I think the talent differential is going to be so it is so it big is. there. That's that's going to come into play. But I think Florida's going to be sort of one dimensional this year. I just don't know how much I believe in Emory Jones, the passer. So we'll see. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be like those teams that Dan Mullen was run heavy. It could with. be a Fitzgerald Rolf. He, kind of that's team. one thing about Dan Mullen. He's very good at playing to his personnel. And then uh, they finish up with Arkansas. That's a winnable game. Yeah, I, and I don't know what to expect from Arkansas either. But yeah. I feel a little bit better about Missouri than I do Arkansas. I do. They're eight and four. Yeah, that's that's, that's a, a really fantastic good. year. It seems Missouri, like they have year that, two of drink wits. It seems like they have that more often than not. Like because the, you would think if he recruits well next year, you know, looking at the teams they're going to play, they don't get a. I don't know who their other East team is next, or their West team is next year. But I mean, if it's Auburn, Ole Miss, or Mississippi State, you feel like maybe that, or you know, that could be some sort of a toss-up game. Arkansas is always a winnable game. Kentucky could be a winnable game. It'll be at home next year. They could be a 10-win team next year, you know, and be right there in the East. So they're trending in the right direction at Missouri for sure. All right. Tomorrow, we flip it a little bit. We're doing opponent previews. I've got one interview lined up and uh, two more coming. It's all about the month of November. We're going to discuss how important November is going to be for Mississippi State football uh, in 2021. That's our. That's going to be our focus for our Friday podcast, our Friday football focus, which we did two years ago and then it sort of got away from it. So it's back, I guess. The know. the FFF. Triple F. There you go. There you go. All right. Guys, have a great uh, Thursday, and Robbie and I will be back with you on Friday. For Robbie Falk, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.